we've been looking at different spots in the Bible where people come into contact with Jesus, Jesus and they ask him a question. We've been looking at a number of questions like, how do I inherit eternal life? And this week we're going to look at the question, how do you know me? But before that, I'll share an experience I had several years ago. I made my way downtown, hopped on the metro. I had a lunch appointment with a friend at one of the law firms down there. So got off the metro. I was wearing one of my nice suits. Uh, the law office was near um, uh, Union Station and, and the Capitol building. And so I'm walking down the sidewalk, all is well, blue sky, great day. And then my foot falls upon a, a slightly uneven part of the sidewalk. And I tweak my ankle a little bit. And at first I'm like, oh, that's okay. This is just going to be one of those awkward stumbles, but I'm going to be able to recover this. It's, it's all good. But I then realize I'm not going to be able to recover this, all right, because I just keep falling, all right? Limbs start going everywhere. I hit the concrete, all six, five of me, nice blue suit. It's just sprayed out on the concrete, all right? It's not a good sight. And you want to know what my first thought is? Like the first instinct, the first thing that comes to my mind. Did anyone see this? <laughs> right? Right? Like are, are now more people going to know what a lumbering oaf I am? Like that's not like my ankle's probably broken. You know, I just ripped my, like, no. Did anyone else see this? And, and we humans uh, have this funny dynamic when it comes to being seen and known, right? Like I would imagine for many of us here this morning, there are things that uh, have happened in our life that we've done in our life that we pray no one ever knows about, no one ever sees. Much more painful and shameful than a sidewalk stumble. Um, some of us here this morning might be exhausted because we're hiding those kinds of things and hope no one ever finds out about them. And yet at the same time, we have this inten intense desire to be known and to be seen. And, and how else do you explain over 1 billion users on Instagram, right? 2.3 billion users on Facebook. Platforms where you can put up pictures and, 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 and words so that, so that you might be seen and known, kind of. Right? We, 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 we want to be seen and known, and yet we're scared of being seen and known. Let me ask this question. What is, what is it for you that you pray and hope that that no one ever finds out that you did, that, that no one would ever know those words that came out of your mouth. And then on the other side, what is it that you would love for people to know about you? What, what, what about you and your circumstances? Would you just like people to know that so maybe they can finally get you? Right? We we're going to come and look at Nathaniel this morning. He, he comes to have this interaction with Jesus, and as he's rocking up, Jesus says something that gives the indication that he already knew him. And, and Jesus, uh, Nathaniel's like, wait, how do, you, how do you know me? And the answer that he receives from Jesus changes everything for Nathaniel. And if we come to understand it, it can change everything for you and for me as well. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us, because we need to hear from him this morning, not simply from me. So would you pray with me? Merciful and mighty Father, we come from a myriad of different places this morning, different seasons of life, different circumstances, and even different places in our relationship with you. 
But we all need the same thing. We need to hear from you. We need our eyes open. We need those voices inside us that would deceive or distract us to be silenced. So by your spirit, would you reveal yourself to your people this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, all 21 chapters has a singular aim. In his Gospel, he's just trying to help people see the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. That he's, he's the Son of God, that he's this Messiah, the appointed one, and that if we come to understand that, that changes everything for us. Our relationships, our shame, our joys, it changes everything. And we're in the initial chapter this morning, we're in chapter 1, where we're seeing that there's these first individuals that are starting to understand exactly who Jesus is. If it helps you to have an outline or a roadmap for where we're going, we're going to talk about a few things. Seeing, being seen, and what that means for our life. Seeing, being seen, and what that means for our life. So let's start with seeing. Verses 43 and 44, we we see that Jesus comes up to Philip and says, follow me. All right, now, most probably he already knew Philip, right? This isn't Jesus just walking up to a, a random stranger and saying, hey, guy, follow me. Right now, most probably he already knew Philip. We know that Philip was from the same city as Andrew and Peter. And and we also see that Jesus went looking for him and found him. So notice what uh, Philip does immediately after Jesus says, follow me. What's the first thing he does there in 45? It says, Philip found Nathanael. And here we see that seeing leads to sharing. Philip was like, hey, the the first thing I want to do is go and find my friend and bring him to the Jesus that I know and that I'm going to start following. That's the, the instinct. That's the reflex that has been at the heart of God's church growing over the centuries. Right? That that's what leads to the family of faith growing is this seeing and then sharing. Even where places where the gospel and Christianity is outlawed. That reflex can't be stopped because when people see Jesus Christ, they can't help but share. And that's our hope here at Capital Press Fairfax. That's our hope for growing as a church is that we will be those people that see Jesus and share Jesus. He goes to Nathaniel and he says, hey, Nathaniel, listen, you know the one that Moses talked about? You know the one that the prophets spoke of? We we found him. We have found the Savior and the Messiah He's from, from Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. And, and that's where we hit a bit of a bump in the road. All right, because Nathaniel hears the part about Nazareth. And here's the challenge when it comes to seeing. Sometimes we have trouble seeing because either we have these tightly held beliefs or these uh, cultural norms that we hold to, and so we can't even see what's really there before us. And Nathaniel says, "Um, this Nazareth thing is a problem for me, right? Now, he could have said, "Um, you know, Philip, I've heard about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, but I haven't heard anything about this Nazareth stuff, so I have some serious concerns. But he doesn't say that. He effectively says, Nazareth, they're the worst, right? Like, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? There's, I, don't, there, I don't even have time for this because nothing good comes from Nazareth, 
right? And it's funny that he says this because if we look in John chapter 21, we found out uh, that Nathaniel comes from a little spot called Cana, all right, which is uh, a little nowhere spot in the same region as Nazareth. Here's what this is like. Um, I grew up in a county called Watauga County, all right, Western North Carolina. We had one high school, and we did not like our neighboring county, Avery County, all right, who also had one high school. You know, we had a small college in our town, Appalachian State University, so I think that made us really arrogant. So like Watauga versus Avery basketball uh, games, our fans would hear things like, Harvard, Princeton, ASU, we're going to college, how about you? And um, these were mainly to make up for our deficiencies as a basketball team. And, um, you know, that's all right. That's okay. You're going to work for us someday. That was another one of our uh, cheers. Growing up, I would have been like Avery County. Can anything good ever come out of Avery County? And the irony is like as if anyone's ever heard of Watauga County, right? So here's Nathaniel from Cana saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The point is, because of his hometown pride and his cultural prejudices, he almost missed the Messiah, right? There are things in our lives and people's lives that sometimes they, they let that stop them from seeing the Messiah. Sometimes it's tragedy that happens in our lives or the lives that we love, the ones that we love. Something happens and we say to ourselves, because of that death, because of that tragedy, I don't want to hear anything about God. I don't want to hear anything about Jesus. And in doing that, you miss seeing the suffering servant that meets with his people in the midst of tragedy. Or sometimes, I know for me growing up, it was the notion that, well, I, 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 if Christianity, you're, I guess you have to check your intellect at the door, and I let that false notion keep me from coming to see Jesus for a lot of years until God interrupted my life in a radical way. But look at, look at Philip's response to this. Right? Look, look how he responds to Nathaniel's kind of biting and cutting comment. And if we're honest, that's what a lot of us are scared of, right? We're scared that we're going to be like Philip and we're going to invite someone to see Jesus and we're going to get one of these comments like this. And so we just don't do it. But, but I love the way that Philip responds. First, see how he doesn't respond. He doesn't, we, we don't see him say, Nathaniel, it seems like you've, made, uh, you've got these presuppositions that have led you to make a generalization about an entire city's population and that's led to some false premises and a false conclusion. Right, I'm a philosophy major. I love those kinds of conversations, and there's places for those conversations. But we need to be aware that when we share Jesus and someone comes back at us with a, a hard comment, a hard question, a hard statement, it's perfectly okay to do what Philip does right here. And say, come and see. Just, just come and look for yourself. That's all I can ask you to do. Maybe just read one of the Gospels on your own and see what you see. Maybe just come to church for me one time, see what you see. Just come and see. So we saw that Philip seeing leads to sharing. We saw with Nathaniel that sometimes there's a problem with our seeing because of our kind of preconceived notions or personal experiences. And then Philip still just says, hey, come and see. And now we transition to this notion of being seen. 
What, is it, what does it mean to be seen? We see with Jesus, we see in this passage that Jesus sees on the inside and he sees on the outside. Nathaniel starts making his way to Jesus, walks up to him, and Jesus says in verse 47, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. All right, they would commonly address each other as Israelites. Uh, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Some older translations say an Israelite in whom there is no guile, but that doesn't really help us because we don't use that word anymore. Uh, what's Jesus saying here? He's not saying, hey, Nathaniel, this is this sinless, perfect guy. He's saying this. With Nathaniel, what you see is what you get. You know, like he, he doesn't try to hide or be something that he's not. And you can kind of tell that from the story, right? He didn't have any problem sharing his thoughts about Nazareth, right? He just kind of puts them all out there, right? And, and even when Jesus makes this statement about him, it's not like he said, oh, well, that's a very kind thing to say. Or, hey, I think I like this guy, you know, like he, he gets me. No, he says what? Hey, how do you know me? Right? So, so Jesus says, with, with Nathaniel, what you see is what you get. And Jesus shows in this passage that he sees on the inside. He knows what Nathaniel is like. And if we read the rest of Jesus' life and ministry, we see he does that time and time again, right? There's times when people ask Jesus a question, and Jesus knows why he's asking that question. We looked last week, David zeroed in on the rich young ruler and he knew the rich young ruler's heart. And he knew what the rich young ruler prized more than anything else. And because he knew what's on the inside of the rich young ruler, he asked him to do one thing. The one thing he knew was too much for him to do. He sees on the, he sees on the inside of, of the religious leaders of the day, right? Because he says, hey, religious leaders, Pharisees, the externals are all good. From, from the outside, you look like you guys got it going on, but you're dead on the inside. You're like whitewashed tombs. But Jesus doesn't only see on the inside, he also sees on the outside, right? Because Nathaniel's like, hey, how do you know me? And this is Jesus' response. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel had been seen by Jesus. Now, when it comes to this fig tree, a lot has been written about it. Like, what's going on with this fig tree? What's important about this fig tree? Uh, people planted them uh, outside of their homes. Sometimes they were places of prayer and meditation. Sometimes they symbolized prosperity. There's no agreement. You want to know what the fig tree symbolizes? Nobody knows, all right? <laughs> all right, and, and ultimately it's not important, even if there is a significance, because the point is something happened there. But what mattered to Nathaniel is that Jesus saw it and knew it. This particular circumstance, this particular event in his life, Jesus saw it and knew it, and that changed everything for Nathaniel. Right? And, and we see also there, there are other times throughout Jesus' life where he knows the outward circumstances of people's life. There's this woman at the well, and he's having a conversation with her, and he says, Hey, this is a great conversation. Why don't we finish this conversation with you and your husband? Why don't you go call him? She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with now isn't your husband. 
Jesus knew the circumstances of her life. Every heartache, every relational ending and beginning, every circumstance, Jesus knew. So, so Nathaniel sees this omniscience, this all-knowing Jesus, and he confesses, you've, you've got to be the Son of God. You've got to be the King of Israel. He makes this profession of faith, uh, and I love Jesus' response, right? He's like, man, if you, if you think that's great, you haven't seen anything yet. If just because I saw you and I know the details of your life, that leads to this kind of confession, Wait in just a little bit and your eyes are going to be open to this reality that the angels of God are ascending and descending on me. And what he's saying there is wait until you see this reality that the massive chasm between heaven and earth, the gulf between God's holiness and our brokenness and rebellion is bridged by me and my life and death in your place. It says, no climbing of Jacob's ladder is going to get you to heaven. No performance, no works that you can do. You're about to see the work of the Son of God to bring salvation. Wait until you see that. We've talked about seeing. We've talked about being seen on the inside and on the outside. And um, let's think about what that means for our lives today. For Nathaniel, it changed everything. What does it mean for you and for me. Here are a few things that challenged me over the past week as I thought about what this truth means. First, I was struck by how radically personal the Christian faith is. The Christian faith in the Christian worldview that, that in Jesus, God sees me and knows me. The creator and sustainer of all things knows Rob Yancey. Um, sometimes it's helpful to think of that in the, in the contrast of other worldviews, other religions. It, it would be great if we could walk through a number of them this morning, but for time, I'll just, I'll just pick one. All right, how, how do we compare this to, say, secular humanism? How do we compare the, the intimacy that we can have with the transcendent God of Christianity uh, to, to secular humanism, the late Stephen J. Gould, uh, a Harvard paleontologist, evolutionary biologist, and historian of science, he articulates this um, secular humanist worldview in this way. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exist. This explanation through this explanation, though superficially troubling, is ultimately liberating. We must construct these answers for ourselves. Um, I mean, with all due respect, I would have to disagree with Dr. Gold, right? Um, the notion that life is ultimately accidental and meaningless is much more than uh, superficially troubling. Uh, it is soul-crushingly terrifying, right? And it goes against every fiber of what we sense to be true, and it removes any foundation, any true foundation for ethics or meaningful relationships. You see, to the parents navigating the highs and lows of parenting a child with special needs, 
Jesus says to them, I see you, and, uh, and I know you. Right, to the, to the teenager heading off to college this fall, or to the parents of teenagers heading off to college this fall, Jesus says, I see you, and I, and I know you, and if you will trust in me, I will be with you and never depart, right? All, right? All secular humanism leaves you with is a deafening silence that says you are on your own to fail or succeed however you should define those terms, not that it really matters because this is all accidental and meaningless. The Christian worldview that God sees you and knows you is unique and compelling. And as if that weren't radical enough, God sees us and knows us, and he still loves us. Remember that question I asked at the beginning? What, what is something that you would fear anyone would find out? What are the words you've spoken you hope no one would ever hear? What have you done that you're incredibly ashamed of? Jesus saw it, right? Jesus does know that. And in his grace, he, he still loves you. He still died for your sin, for that sin. You see, the love of Jesus is not a naive love, all right? He's not like a young lover that just somehow doesn't see the glaring deficiencies of his beloved, right? No, he sees us and knows us full well and still chooses to love us. Uh, Victor Hugo an author uh, in his novel, Les Miserables, says this, and, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. The supreme happiness in life is the assurance of being loved, of being loved for oneself, even in spite of oneself. Right? The bad news of the gospel is that, that we're worse than we're ready to admit. We're worse than we even know, and even though we try to hide it, God still sees it. But the good news of the gospel is that he sees it and he still sends his son to die for us because he loves us. Let's finish with, with where the passage starts. Remember, the passage starts with Jesus calling uh, Philip to follow him. He's calling his followers. And ultimately, that's what Jesus is after, all right? Jesus isn't ultimately after fans or crowds or people to stand at a distance and go, yeah, that guy's pretty good, or I agree with what he's saying. No, Jesus is after followers. Let me ask you this. What can you point to in your life today that you say, you know what? The only reason I'm doing this is because I'm following Jesus. The only reason I'm spending this money or not spending this money is because I'm following Jesus. The only reason I'm in this relationship or not in this relationship is because I'm following Jesus. I was convicted uh, a couple weeks ago by some fellow Christ followers. I was over in Romania. Some of us here went over there with our partner, RCE. And one of the things Romanian Christian Enterprise does is place special needs kids in, in homes for adoptions. And we spent one morning going to visit all these families. And time and time again, you know what I heard? I heard about families who had raised kids of their own and gotten them out of their house. And you know what they did next? They adopted children with special needs. Having raised their own children, they took uh, children into their homes with special needs. 
And I realized um, kind of the way I'm thinking about my empty nest years, and they're 10 years away, like it's a decade away, so they're not close, right? But even now I daydream about them sometimes, uh, if I'm honest. Uh, And I realized that in some of my daydreaming, my heart doesn't line up with my saviors, right? Because I can daydream about those years as years where then it's going to be my kingdom come, right? Then I'm going to get to coast. Then I I saw in these families uh, a sacrifice and a love that couldn't be explained by anything else than they had come into contact with a Jesus that sees them and knows them and loves them and provides for their needs in such a way that they would take in these children. And I had to repent and say, God, never... Never let me stop following you in any season of life, whether it's empty nest or retirement or next week. And finally, for some of you, um, maybe you haven't made this decision to follow Jesus yet. Um, and, and in our churches, sometimes it's hard to even know how to do that. You know, I came to Christ in a small Southern Baptist church in Western North Carolina, and you might know, but at the end of every service, right, uh, the pastor says, you know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and they start playing this music, and you have a chance to respond that day to the gospel. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that this morning, okay? But I would say, if you have made that decision, uh, maybe it's over the past months, maybe it's today, I would love to talk with you. Our leaders would love to talk with you. Lewis would love to talk with you. Talk with your community group leader about that. If you've made that decision to follow Jesus, we want this to be a place where people come and see and hear Jesus and decide to follow him. The question this morning was, how do you know me? And the answer is that Jesus sees us and he loves us still. He died for us and he calls us to follow him in joyful obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you let us, through your word, see this Jesus that is unlike anyone that we could ever imagine. Gracious, loving, compassionate, patient. Help us to respond to him today. If we've been following you for years, reorient our heart once more. Recalibrate it to your ways Maybe we're still considering following you. I pray today would be the day that your spirit works and draws people to yourself. Father, for your glory and for your honor and for your renown, would you be at work among your people? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.